Well, very good. Give you a taste of what they got going on back there. Some of you are like, I didn't know we had that many kids back there. Uh, but it is a blessing, and uh, we do. And I appreciate the ladies that work diligently with all the kids back there. <clears throat> and uh, same thing on Sunday. I appreciate the ladies that work. Uh, with our children on Sundays as well, and uh, boy, it's just been a blessing to see how the Lord continues to bless and grow things, so I appreciate that. It was awesome. All right, well, we're in 1 John again this evening, 1 John chapter number 2. If you uh, did not get a handout, um, there were on the table on your way in there, and so... um, You did? Okay, there you go. If you didn't get one, they've already been passed out. If you still didn't get one, you can run back there and grab one if you want one. And so 1 John uh, chapter 2 here this evening. And um, we continue on in our uh, study here uh, that we've been talking about on that you may know. And I'm thankful that God gave us a book uh, as a, a level of assurance for our salvation which is just a testimony that it's normal for us in our fallen flesh to doubt uh, the goodness of God because we start to rely on our goodness and whether we're good enough to earn God's favor or whether we should or shouldn't. I know not everyone struggles with that, but I've been in the faith long enough to know that a lot of people do. And God understood that, that it was a tendency and weakness in us. And I'm thankful John wrote this book and said, here's some tests that you can do that just verify and prove and show that you are indeed in the faith. And so I've enjoyed our uh, progress so far. So this is sermon number 8, uh, and we're in 1 John chapter number 2. If you found your place there and you're able to, let's stand together as we read God's Word. Just so honor and respect to the Scriptures there. 1 John chapter 2, and uh, we'll start in verse number 18. <clears throat> As is the case with John up in age, he writes to these struggling believers who are just overwhelmed with false doctrine. And he says this in verse 18, Little children, it is the last time. And ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrist, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that he hath promised us, 
even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. There's a lot there. Don't worry, we're going to unpack it together. Amen. So may God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures. Our test here tonight is this, the test of doctrine. The test of uh, doctrine. Uh, is anyone familiar with the Babylon Bee? Have anyone heard of the Babylon If you've never heard of the Babylon Bee, you're missing out in life. I'm just going to let you know that right now. It is a satire news organization that has really grown quite large in the last decade or so that just puts out pieces that seem almost real, but they're just satire. They're just meant for laughs and funny. So about three, maybe four years ago, they released a, uh, a headline that read this way. Giant cloud of dust emerges from Vatican as Pope Francis opens his Bible. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. So here I opened up the article and this is how the art, again, satire, but this is how the article read. <clears throat> Vatican. Amid the international controversy surrounding Catholic priests blessing same-sex unions, Pope Francis decided to explore the archives and consult an ancient book called the Bible to make sure he was getting it right. Whew, it's been a little while since I opened up this bad boy. He said, let me see here. As soon as he had opened up the book, a massive cloud of dust and debris catapulted off the cover, out the window, and into the clear Vatican sky. Mamma mia, exclaimed several onlookers. The Holy Father, he's reading the Bible. The dust continued to rise into the sky, obscuring the sun and causing thousands of local residents to gasp for breath. Why didn't he warn us he was going to open the book? People cried as they scattered in all directions trying to avoid what was now a powerful sandstorm heading their way. The Pope read the book for a while and after determining none of the teachings had changed since he last opened it, put it back on the shelf and announced the Catholic Church would not be changing its doctrine, at least until the Pope announces the meaning of the words have changed in light of modern interpretation. Maybe next year, said Francis. The article is intended, obviously, to be humorous. Isn't it? I mean, it's a humorous thing, but satire is just that. It takes an amount of truth and then extorts it to a very large portion. Now, Obviously, the truth that's being made fun of in this is that there are groups that are out there that are false in their standing on what they claim to be truth or doctrine because they have long since departed from this book. Now, we would hold to the truths that the Bible is inerrant, it is inspired, it is the very words of God, and we can take it to the bank that what is recorded here in this book is as if we are hearing directly from God Himself. Amen. 
It is without error and completely inspired of the Lord. Now, because of that, we believe the truths that we find in the scriptures uh, being infallible, without error, without problems, being as if we're hearing directly from God, have the answers that we need in this life. Unfortunately, there's a lot of chatter in our world, and that's nothing new, particularly in the area of why did God create me? What's my purpose? And where am I going to go when I die? And what is the way to heaven? Those answers, unfortunately, there's a lot of chatter out there. And just because there's a lot of noise doesn't mean all the noise is right. I'm thankful God's word cuts through the chatter and gives us clear and direct answers about what true salvation is. And so we can say this, tonight is, is this test. Does it line up with the scriptures? Because there are many groups in John's day and there are many groups in our day who claim a way to God and a way of salvation that is not accurate to the doctrine of the scriptures. So although we have looked kind of inward for many tests, today we're going to look at what truth we're actually putting our faith in that we call salvation to say, did what I believe in, was that accurate and true? Was it indeed the gospel? So we've been on a little bit of a journey here. So just by way of review, we've done this quite a while now, so I'm just going to rattle these off rather quickly here for you as we've gone through the book. Now, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, we did the test of sin. A person who lives in habitual sin with no repentance, we have to raise the red flag and ask the question, are they genuinely a believer? It's like being at somebody's funeral and we say this person was an absolute heathen. They never went to church. They never lived for God. They only did that which was sinful and wrong. And yet they claim to be a Christian. And we go, whoa, something's not lining up here. Right. The second test was the test of concealing. Do you believe you are without sin or do you minimize the wickedness of your sin? Somebody who says, uh, I'm without sin. The Bible says he who says he has no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, because we understand that we have done wrong. For a person to genuinely be saved, they must confess that they have sinned. Okay. And then there's the test of obedience. Do you have a desire to follow and obey the Word of God? Now, the test of sin, obviously, is sins of commission, doing things, but then we have the sins of omission or omitting things that we should be doing. And so here we have this test. Is there a desire to follow? Now, even Paul himself said, I want to do right, but I don't always do right. Right? And so we understand the test of obedience is not that we always do right. It's that there is an, a desire to do right. Right? That, that is there. Next, there was the test of love. The test of love, which was this. Do you love and serve other Christians? John sets the bar pretty low because Jesus says in the New Testament there, that he gives them a new commandment, which is to love even their enemies. I mean, he takes it to an extreme. But John sets the bar rather low here. He says this, a true believer will at least love the things that God loves. They'll love other believers. So you have to wonder somebody who feels like they're being drugged to church and sits here and go, I hate this place and I hate all these people. I don't want to spend any time with any of y'all. You have to go... We have to raise a red flag there a little bit because uh, I like being around God's people because I is one. It's not good grammar, but it's accurate. Amen. So the test of love. Next there is the test of growth, which is this. When an infant is born, 
you expect that they will develop, otherwise there's a problem. The Bible compares many times the birth of a baby or the birth of the flesh to the spiritual birth. John 3, Jesus is one of the first ones that ever did that, and then it's repleted over and over again in the New Testament. That there is, obviously, as in a physical birth, and then there's the milk, and then the, the, the rice stuff, you know, and then the baby food, and then before long they're eating steak, and you wish they were drinking milk again, right? But here's the thing, there's a development and a growth that they go through. And when they don't, we say, what's the problem? So just the same with a believer, there ought to be some growth. Now, I've noticed with every one of my children, they're not only different in their emotions and their personality, they're also different in their physical growth and development. Yep. In the same way, each of us as believers, we don't all grow the same. Some, man, they just catch on and they just, boom. Others may struggle and kind of ebb and flow, but there's growth, right? That's a natural sign of that. And then we talked about uh, last week the love uh, to love the Father. Now, this was not so much a test of salvation, uh, although we could, we could make a case for it. It was more so this. Uh, when we genuinely get saved, there ought to be love for the Father instead of love for the world. So he gives the instruction, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Yeah. Why? Because love for the world and love for the Father are opposite. They're in, at enmity with one another. They're enemies with one another. Now, John is going to get back to the business here of helping us understand what true salvation looks like and test that we can apply to help figure this out. So we're going to look at the test of doctrines, and this is really going to deal with this phrase, antichrist. So let's define some terms here because some people get like either really into it or really scared or really confused when you start using some of these terms like last times and antichrist. Okay, so in verse number 18 there, when he begins to talk about this, notice that Antichrist is not a proper name. That, that is indicated by the fact that it's not uppercase A. Now, obviously what we're dealing with here is he's not talking about the person Antichrist. Instead, he's talking about that there are many people who are anti or against Christ. So that we could define Antichrist plural, and not the proper noun of an individual, as this. They are enemies of Christ. Okay, so anybody that is the enemy of Jesus Christ and the enemy of Christ, we would define them this way. They are anti-Christ. So as the individual who will be the anti-Christ, there are many who are anti-Christ. And as he will be against the Lord, they kind of are types or they look like what he will be but they are not him, okay? So that's what John's talking about here. He actually even says that there in verse number 17. He says, you've heard that Antichrist shall come, and now are there many Antichrist? And he's letting know, hey, we've got these, and there will be some that will be coming also in the future. We also need to talk about the, the last times. What does it mean by the last times? Well, we are actually in the last times, in the present Actually, John actually even says that right here when he says this. We know that it is the last time. First uh, John is written roughly, you know, maybe 70-ish, 80. We're a little removed from that, almost 2,000 years. And so we would understand this. If John in his day was making this statement, 
we are currently living in the last times, we can definitively say today we are in the last times also. What we're talking about with this last times is we're talking about between the first coming and the second coming of Christ, that is it. Okay, I know when there are signs and there are evidence things, we, we want to maybe define it more clearly as there's a unique period of time like right before Christ returns. But here's the thing, no man knoweth the hour, the day when Christ is returning, but like a storm cloud that's coming or a woman in travail, a woman that's pregnant and coming close to her due date, we can see the signs of the times and we can say it is the last time. And John saw those in his day and he said this, we're living in those last times. And so we indeed, of course, obviously are also. This is not talking about the seven year tribulation time. It's talking about the here and the now where we are currently. Okay? And we also know this uh, used to be part of the truth. The Antichrist here, he says this uh, in verse number uh, 19 there. They left because they were never in. So basically it seems like what had happened here is there was a group of people who were attending services with them or were friends with some of them. And they quit and kind of went off in some heretical direction and believing some false doctrine from the Gnostics. We'll come back to them here in a moment. We have talked about this. You've been part of the series. You know what we're talking about. But they went off in that direction. And so John here simply says this. That they might have been attending a service and they might have been saying religious words, but they never truly accepted Christ. They never truly believed him. Because had they truly believed him, they would continue in that belief. But now what they are stating is heresy. It is antichrist. They are not only, it's not only that they've left the faith, they speak against the faith. They denounce the faith. And so he simply says here, they used to be a part of the truth, but it's evident that they were not saved because they have completely rejected Jesus Christ and have left that truth. And then the fourth thing here Opposite of truth, and we could say true believers. Just as we talked about, John is very black and white in this book. The rest of the Bible affords some gray area for us, liberty if you will. But the book of 1 John speaks in very literal terms and very black and white. Why? Because he's dealing with little children, believers that are pretty new to the faith, and they need very clear and cut answers because they're being fed a bunch of lies from false people. And they need to be able to say this is right and that's wrong. And so here again, he gives these black and white, right, wrong, truth, lie, light, darkness, good, evil, no gray area answers. They're either saved or they're not. And so when he presents this uh, again to us here, he says truth is the opposite of the lie. So if they're speaking the lie, they're not speaking truth. And if they're speaking truth, then they're not speaking the lie. And so again, in very black and white terms, he helps us identify and define what an antichrist is. They speak lies, which means inherently they can't be speaking the truth. The same fountain can't bring forth sweet and bitter waters. He goes on in verses 22 and verse 23 and begins to identify uh, the antichrist. Now, we would understand, uh, again, we've already read the verses here, and so I'm not going to dig into them. If you would like to uh, do that, you can. But notice that uh, we've been talking about the Gnostics. Um, 
If you remember, the Gnostics separated the spirit and the flesh, and they were like, so I can do really bad things in my flesh, because the flesh is just evil, and people are going to do evil things in the flesh, but my spirit is inherently good. And so I've never done anything wrong. They would claim that they've never done sin, because the real me is the spirit. Gnostics is kind of a weird way of thinking, and so from that, the separation of flesh and spirit and the truths that came about from it, they would have denied this, the doctrine that Jesus came in the flesh. So in their mind, if Jesus took on human form, then he would have become sinful. So they denied that Christ came in the flesh. Now, here's the thing. This, this was really true back then because there were a lot of groups that were doing it, but there's still groups that do that today. And if there's any group out there that claims the gospel and it denies the, the humanity of Jesus Christ, it's a false doctrine. It's not a real gospel. Yep. It, it, you must believe that Christ indeed was virgin born and came in the flesh. Okay. The next thing is this, is they deny major truths and doctrines about Jesus. That's why they're anti-Christ. Now, there, we, could, we could go through a whole bunch of doctrines that a lot of groups get messed up. And listen, there's some things that I, I would look at uh, individuals and groups out there that we want to call heretics. But by the true definition of the word, they're not really heretics. We just disagree on some things. But there are some groups that are out there that are legitimately heretics. What makes them a heretic? They mess up the gospel. If they tell anybody the way of salvation that doesn't line up with that book, they are heretic. They are antichrist. Why? Because they are peddling a gospel that is, says there's a way to God apart from the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. That is antichrist. And, and John here identifies that and helps us understand that those who would uh, believe or a doctrine teach something that tries to bypass Jesus, he says, oh, that's, that's antichrist. So let me uh, kind of lay out a few of these. These aren't in your notes, but they'll be helpful for you. Uh, I'll put them up on the screen so you can be able to get them. Uh, Christology truths that cannot be compromised. Now, Christology, we're talking about this, the study of Christ or the study of Jesus. Now, these are some truths that we would say this. They got to be there. You, you can't lose these. If you get rid of these, you mess up the gospel. And there's a lot of groups that mess these up. So we, we just, again, run through these here real quickly. The deity of Jesus Christ. If anybody believes that Jesus wasn't all God, they mess up the gospel. You know, absolutely. The Trinity, which is this. Co-equal, co-existent. One God, present in three co-equal and co-existent persons. The Father, Son, and Spirit. Hard to explain, hard to understand, but we must believe it by faith. There is one God who has revealed himself in three distinct and unique persons. Okay? The hypostatic union of Christ. Now, that's a big word. It simply means this, that at the same time Jesus was all man, he was simultaneously all God. The God-man. Now, it, he wasn't 50-50. So in every aspect that hum, he, a human is a human, he was that. He got hungry, he got tired, he developed as a human, he was human all the way through. But he never let go of his deity. 
maybe a great way to explain this would be this way. If I were to take a blindfold and cover up my eyes, I still can see. I just have limited my ability to see. That's what Jesus did in his humanity. He never let go of the fact that he was God. He simply veiled it in human flesh. That makes sense? So he's com- at the same time he is completely God, he is also completely man. Sometimes he lifted those blindfolds up, didn't he? Mount of Transfiguration, the miracles that he did. What manner of man is this, right? They started to see those shinings of the deity because he would lift the veil up and let them see the disciples there. Okay? We also this, the virgin birth. Uh, this has been under attack for quite some time, but... The virgin birth. He is the only one who has ever been born that way. If you remove the virgin birth, you remove the sinless nature of Christ. you got to have the virgin birth. The sinless nature of Christ. He knew no sin. There, I saw the other day somebody was posting on Facebook. There was a children's book that had been put out there where it said that Jesus was dying for his sins or was being baptized to wash away his sins. And so you have to be careful with some of that stuff. But I'll say this, there is false doctrine out there that Christ was a sinner and needed to be baptized and needed to die in order to pay for his own and the whole world's. No, he's sinless. Jesus didn't have to die. He willingly laid down his life. Okay. We also this, he died vicariously. You go, well, that just blesses my soul. Uh, Vicariously simply means this, he didn't die for what he had done. He died for what you did. Vicariously means he died in the place of another. Yeah, so he took our place, a substitutionary death. He didn't do it because he needed to. He did it because we needed it, right? And we also know this, that salvation is by Christ, through Christ, in Christ alone. No other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You cannot have the Father without the Son. You cannot have your sins forgiven without Jesus. You cannot have a way to heaven without Christ dying for your sins. It's not by works. It's not Jesus minus. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus alone. That's it. Now, these are some truths that cannot be compromised. They can't. We, we, just, we just can't let those things go. They are biblical foundational truths so much that we would say this. If we remove any one of them, we become heretic. We become antichrist. Because we are trying to bypass who Jesus is in order to get to God. So there are those who are antichrist even today. So let's name names. It'd be fun. Uh, just sometimes this is fun to do. So known groups that are antichrist. Mormons are antichrist. Mormons teach that Jesus was not virgin born. They deny the Trinity and the deity of Christ, instead teaching that Jesus was brother with Satan and all kinds of weird stuff. Okay. <clears throat> Jehovah's Witnesses, they deny the Trinity. They deny the deity of Christ. And we could be here the rest of the night talking about everything else that they got going on there. Okay, 144,000, the debacle with all that. But those are some main things with Christ that they are deniers of. Maybe you haven't heard of this, the unification movement that's out there. They would deny the virgin birth of Christ. Christ was not virgin born, but instead he was natural born and God came upon him at the baptism. A lot of groups have taught that. Probably one of the biggest uh, 
antichrists that are out there would be the Catholic Church. Now, again, I'm not trying to be nailed just on them every week, but we just need to be aware because they are such a large group that's out there. Let me read you actually from one of their uh, books what they have said. You might not be able to, to see. It's kind of small print up there, but let me read this to you. It's from the Catholic Church. It says this, Some of the doctrines of Protestantism, now they would kind of throw us in that group, although we're not Protestant, but Protestantism that the Catholic Church considers heretical are the beliefs that the Bible is the only supreme authoritative source. So let me basically say this. Like we're calling them heretics, they would call us heretics, and here's the reason they call us heretics. Okay? That we believe the Bible is the only authoritative source of faith and practice in Christianity. Sola Scriptura. Yeah, we do believe that. Amen? Claim it. That only by faith alone can anyone ever be led to salvation and not by works. We, we believe in that too, yeah. They call us heretics for that. That the Pope does not necessarily have universal jurisdiction over the whole church by any divine right. Yeah, we, we don't believe that. That one individual can supersede all things Bible and just come up with whatever he wants it to be, right? <clears throat> I lost my place here. That the Catholic Church cannot be the sole church of Christ and that there is not a sacramental and ministerial priesthood exclusively received by exegetical ordinance. Basically what he's saying is that, is that the priest administers sacraments in order for you to be saved. And that there are specific people that are chosen who can talk to God on your behalf and can administer salvation to you from God. Yeah. So they call us heretics because we don't believe that. But rather that the only Christian priesthood can be a universal priesthood of all believers, which we talked about uh, Sunday night before last. We talked about the fact that the priesthood of the believer, we all have the ability to go directly to God. Now here's the thing. It, that is the position of the Catholic Church that they would call us heretic for believing those things. And here's the thing. Many of those things that they're calling out are necessary for the gospel. And so that we could simply say this, it's antichrist. If you deny those truths about who Christ is and the way of salvation that's presented in the scriptures, you are antichrist. Now again, I don't want to, listen, we're not pulling out pistols and just shooting everybody, okay? But we, again, we want to be careful in calling people heretic. Well, you don't have the same dress standards as me. You're a heretic, right? You didn't part your hair just right. You're a heretic, okay? Be careful. Heretic has to do with this, somebody who messes with the gospel. You know? And so we would understand there are groups that are out there that are trying to bypass the cross and they're trying to downplay the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ, the sinless nature of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, a hypostatic union of Christ. So we have to say this along with John, if that's not the truth, then what is it? It's a lie, right? And so we have to align that there. Okay, so the early church dealt with this. Again, there's a lot of groups, Gnosticism, Adopticism, Judaizers, Arianism. Uh, there's a bunch of groups, okay? They, they all had their beliefs. And just like today, we have groups. They've always been around. They always will be around that want to mess with the gospel. So here we go. Let's get some practical stuff here. Tools against the Antichrist. Um, <clears throat> in verse 24 through 27, again, I wish we had time to just kind of unpack. There's a lot in these verses. Can I just give you the summary? Okay, so in, in these, there's two truths that are brought forth in verse 24 through 27 which is this, if there are people that are out there that are preaching a false gospel and they are trying to be anti-Christ, they are speaking lies that are not the truth, what, what are we supposed to do? How do we know what's truth and what's a lie? And how do we muddy through the weeds, especially since he said little children, right? Sometimes 
There's a lot of voices. How do we cut through the chatter to what is absolute truth? Well, the first thing is just that, truth. Because here's what John says. He goes, um, you got something in the beginning. Go back to that. Remember the very first in, in 1 John chapter 1, he, he writes to him, he says this, that which you have received of me, believe that. And here he's saying that again, which is simply this. When I came to you, I gave you the gospel that is presented in the scriptures that I witnessed with my own eyes, and you believed it, and it was precious. It was precious to you. Remember the first sermon was simply about this. Quit using your cell phone to find your cell phone, <laughs> which was this. Some people are looking everywhere for joy in their life, and he's, John's point was this. Joy is in Jesus. And there were people who were out there saying, well, you didn't get the real salvation. you got to have all this other stuff. And John simply went, well, when I preached it to you and you believed it and you received it, wasn't that good enough? Go back to the beginning. You got lost in the weeds. And so this is a great reminder for all of us. You watch a YouTube video, a TikTok, some coworker, some personality on the radio, a family member. You have a conversation about something religious and it comes up and it causes doubt or confusion in your mind. That can cause you to doubt your salvation, can it? Absolutely. That's what they were dealing with. There was a lot of chatter. So John says, here's how you cut through the chatter. Go to the source. Go back to the beginning, which wasn't a YouTube video, and it wasn't a TikTok personality, and it wasn't your cousin, and it wasn't your coworker. It was the eternal word of God. And the truth that was received there, go back to that and look for in them... Ye have eternal life. It's in the scriptures that we find assurance. You know, times that I have doubted in my life, it often was from even well-meaning preachers or from somebody else's testimony or whatever it might have been. But then I go back to the scriptures. And as I go back to the scriptures, God assures me in my heart through his word and says this, you are mine. You belong to me. Because the truth of the gospel is not in what you necessarily did, although we must believe, it's in who Jesus is. Salvation is not about your works, it's about His completed work on the cross. And by belief and trust in that, you get saved. And so when we come to the scriptures, we are assured that salvation is indeed in a person who is Jesus. And it cuts through all the noise. The second truth, which you kind of alluded to in that, which is the Spirit. I love this. Now, truth always comes before spirit. Mm -hmm. But spirit, because we're Baptists, sometimes we run away from it. The Holy Spirit is real Amen. and is very awesome. Amen. Don't let the Pentecostals steal that from us. <laughs> okay? The Holy Spirit doesn't make us do all that weird stuff. But I'm thankful when I got saved, I got the Holy Spirit. Amen. The comforter that abides with us. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? One of its key objectives, his key objectives, is to be a comforter. Well, what greater comfort could he provide to the believer than the assurance that we are indeed his child? And one of the great blessings as we read the scripture is that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Amen. That's a tremendous blessing. Amen. And so John writes to these little children writes to these believers who are, have all this noise coming around him. He says this, go to the scriptures. As you read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are indeed his child. Yeah. Yep. 
because there's a lot of chatter that's out there. Okay, so four truths here um, from the scriptures that we're going to talk about with these uh, antichrists. So let me give you this really quick by way of application. These aren't necessarily in the verse, but I think it'll be good. Four truths about being aware of the antichrist. First is this, hold to what you got at the first. Um, Sometimes I think as people grow in their faith, I don't even want to say it that way. Sometimes I think as people get around others after salvation and they hear all this information, maybe not from good sources all the time, there can be a lot of confusion. It's always good to go back to the beginning. Go back to the first, what was presented, okay? What is the truth of the scriptures, okay? Number two, the Holy Spirit will guide you to truth. God is not one who's wanting to be hidden. God actually wants to be known. So he will guide us and lead us into all truth. Third, there is a difference between truth and heresy. (laughs) There's a big difference. So here's the thing. Know that there is a difference. Be willing to realize that everything that says Christian isn't indeed for Christ. And every book that's in the Christian section at Mardell's is not necessarily Christian. And every preacher that wears a turtleneck and sits on a stool isn't probably giving you the gospel necessarily. Or wearing a suit or whatever they're wearing. Okay. And then number four, be able to identify lies. Our culture leads people to a place where they cannot easily do this. Your truth, my truth, it's all subjective. What's right for you isn't necessarily right for me. But I'm telling you, there is an objective truth, God's truth, and regardless of the current trends politically or socially or religiously, God's truth is always truth. And so be willing to identify that there are non-truths that are out there and be keen enough to recognize that's false. To identify what's false, you must know what is true. One more reason why it's so important to be in the scriptures and to know what the Bible says instead of just taking somebody's word for it. The Bereans would hear a message and then they would search the scriptures whether those things were so. You ever get around a group of people that says, just take my word for it. Don't take their word for it. Search the scriptures. Get in a place where people encourage you to go back and back and back again to the Bible because the Bible indeed does have the answers. Let's stand together as we come to a time of invitation here tonight.